0: I certainly hope there's enough spears on the train for me.
1: Nenge, Nenge Yomboko,
0: from Cameroon. Do you remember me? It's Lionel Joseph. Lionel! The African Education Conference, right? Yes, Simon. I was director of cultural events at the Haile Selassie Pavilion. I remember the pavilion. We had big fun
1: there. <laughs> <laughs>
2: To, so what's the problem In which we rewatch movies from our youth to determine if they're problematic by today's standards. I'm Jimmy. And I'm Jen. Today we'll be discussing
0: Trading Places, which was released in the U.S. on June 8th, 1983, in the U.K. on December 9th, 1983, and in Ireland on February 10th, 1983. It was written by Timothy Harris and Herschel Weingrad, directed by John Landis. It stars Dan Aykroyd, Eddie Murphy, Jimmy Lee Curtis, Ralph Bellamy, Don Amici, and Den- Denholm Elliott.
2: Yeah. It's always going to happen as this. Jen and I have thought of three problems. This movie has three each, and also a positive, and we're just going to have a little discussion about it. Jen, history, what is it? I saw this movie once a while ago,
0: like maybe... I don't know, sometime in the last 10 years, and that's the only time I'd ever seen it.
2: And then you watched it this week again. Yes. Right. What Um, about you? I grew up with it. Um, I must have watched it in VHS back in the 80s, and I don't know why. I can't remember who introduced it to my life. When I was younger, I don't think... um, Like, comedy movies like this, I don't think my my mum or my my nana really gave a shit because I, I flitted between the two. I lived with my mum for a few years and then I lived with my nana for a few years and then my mum and my nana. It was a big weird thing. Um, but I I don't think they really cared what I watched because I remember watching stuff like this. Um, you know, comedy movies like this that were quite risky. I didn't really watch a lot of horror movies until I was older. Um, But I watched action movies, I saw Robocop when I was about 12, so stuff like that they didn't really care about, so I must have seen this when I was about possibly nine years old. (laughs) Alright. Nine or ten years old, and then I would have watched it tons of VHS on TV and stuff like that, Um, although I don't really remember an edited version of this on TV. But there must have been one on UK TV in the eighties. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a film that's not a film that I I watched uh like religiously like I would do with an action movie. But it is one I have seen a ton of times in my life. And then I just kinda ignored it for a while. It's one that I was like, yeah, I've seen that, I know what happens. I don't really I don't really need to watch it. Again, you know, it's not when I go back to, even not even at Christmas or New Year, because this is, you know, it's also a New Year's movie, which is why, you know, this is getting released in the, just after Christmas, before New Year. So, what did you, what did you think of this then? I always ask you that when it's something you haven't really got experience with. What did you think of it? Or will we get into that?
0: <laughs> we'll get into it, because I think it could be a lot better with a retooling. Yeah, I have I have notes for them <laughs> to make it I don't know less offensive or something I don't know Yeah
2: yeah yeah but Oh no 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 We'll get into it We'll we'll get into the offensiveness of it Um So I will just start with my first problem and my first problem is the score is very distracting We start off with the music at the beginning which is from Figaro I think It's it's a piece mm-hmm. of classical music and it's played over like, shots of just ordinary, everyday people in Philadelphia. And it lasts for almost three and a half minutes, the opening credits, and they add nothing and do nothing for anybody. So, and also, the the score throughout is just really sort of loud. It sounds like it's classical music, but it's composed for the movie, and it just sounds so loud and abrasive, and I don't like it so what is your first problem
0: oh um racism yeah 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 yeah, yeah. uh one of the lines i wrote down was the first one that just like really made me- i was rapping gifts while i was watching yeah. and it made me want to like throw rapping at the the tv was uh when one of the guys says of course there's something wrong with him he's a negro yeah no yeah
2: to be f- no to be fair though the guy who said that is a wanker.
0: No, I know. Well, here's part of my problem is that I feel like the racism in the movie could actually really work if it was more focused on like that guy, right? Like the that was the guy who bet that he, he, it wouldn't work, right? Yeah.
1: You're okay. If
0: the, if if the other guy had been like trying to prove a point about, like, racism or something, that would have worked a lot better. Like, I felt like, like, I hated that he was making the bet just to make the bet, because he could have been making a really good point, Mm -hmm. or multiple really good points with that bet. And at first I thought that's what was going on, but it wasn't, and they're just both racist assholes. Yeah. And so, like, the racism, it would have worked for me better if the other guy hadn't been so racist. Yeah,
2: it also doesn't help when everyone is saying either Negro or the the more offensive version of it. Yeah. Like, everyone's saying it, basically. Even the black characters are saying it. Which, you know, you know, take the word back, whatever, I don't care, but, you know, it's still an offensive word. It doesn't matter who says it, come on. You know? (laughs) Even if a black person says it's not a black person, it's still an offensive word. Um, But, yeah, I I agree. (laughs) And that's also, that's partly why, I um I picked this movie because I knew there was stuff in it that would be offensive and we haven't really spoke about a movie that was offensive for a while. <laughs> Everyone else we've watched recently has been like, uh, uh it's, it's depressing or, it's, you <laughs> know, uh, I don't believe that, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger would have that job and, you know, he's so hardworking and blah, blah, blah. I forget what my problem is. And jingle all the way. I forgot jingle all the way existed I didn't tell right now. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, my second problem is blackface. Because that's in there. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd does an impression of a Rastafarian gentleman and has the dreadlocks and is all blackfaced up and uh, is super fucking offensive and I think that is one of those things that when I was a child I thought was fucking hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you're a child you don't really think about what it means. It's just, oh, this white man's dress is a black man, isn't he silly? Yeah. Whereas now it's like, what the fuck were you doing? <laughs> what... What were You do- You know that this movie was originally written for Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor? Okay, that makes sense. It makes sense, doesn't it? Because I think, I'm pretty sure Gene Wilder is blacked up in one of their movies as well. And that, it, it makes sense that, that it was written for them. Because one of the writers used to work at a, I think it was a tennis club. And he actually saw two like, older wealthy gentlemen... And they were making bets all the time, and that's where you got the idea. Hmm. Um, so that makes sense. But the original, the original title of the movie was Black or White. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So John Landis changed it to Trading Places. <laughs> that was a smart move. That was a smart move. Yeah, John Landis murdered a few people, but you know, at least he came up with a better name for this movie. He murdered a few people. Um, the Twilight Zone movie.
0: That sounds vaguely familiar.
2: Yeah. Vic Morrow and uh, two Vietnamese child actors were decapitated by a, a plane and a stunt. Um, and it was all down to John Landis being really inept as a director. And, uh, yeah, it was a court case for, for years and years. Cool. It was a really big deal. Yeah. Um, actually, Eddie Murphy, I can't remember which movie it was, but Eddie Murphy said... After he'd made a couple of movies with John Landis, he fell out with John Landis, and he actually said that John Landis has got a better chance of working with Vic Morrow again than he ever does working with Eddie Murphy again. Oh, wow. Yeah. Merry Christmas, everyone! So, what is your second problem? Um, homophobia, use of the F word. Yeah? Yeah? Eddie Murphy, our hero, says it twice.
0: Yep. Yeah. I I did not like that.
2: No, no. And also, he kind of assaults a woman at the beginning as well. You know, he yeah. just sort of grabs her jacket and doesn't let go. Um, you know, he doesn't actually touch her, but, you know, he grabs her. And then when she walks away, he shouts, bitch. So, you know, we're not really... It's not really endearing as to this character. But then again, in the 80s, that was the done thing, wasn't it? It was like... Yeah. That was that was supposed to be hilarious and funny and likable, I think maybe because you're supposed to like Valentine at the beginning. Yeah, you're supposed to find him charming and hilarious, but he grabs a woman's jacket, doesn't let it go, and then calls her a bitch. And then he says the F word to about the two brothers a couple of times. So that this movie must have been hor- mo- This movie must have been mortifying for you to watch, Jen
0: um I don't know it wasn't it wasn't that bad it's I kind of knew what to expect a little better going in and it it the racism and stuff at least felt like it had more of a purpose than in a lot of movies from the 80s yes except the blackface except the blackface yeah yeah. but that made it a little easier um like different from something like 48 hours um Mm -hmm. Because there was kind of a point to some of it.
2: Yeah, I mean, on the blackface kind of makes sense, considering that Paul Gleason's character knows who Dan Aykroyd's character is. Mm-hmm. So he changes his face so he can disguise himself, which it does make sense, but he still looks like Dan Aykroyd with blackface on. yeah. Um, so Paul Gleason's character is the dumbest character in the movie, or maybe you just wouldn't expect, you know, Dan Aykroyd would to be expect- in blackface,
0: so you'd just be like, oh,
2: that guy looks kind of like a black version of that guy I know. Yeah, but me saying that Paul Gleason's character being the dumbest character in the movie is leading me into my third problem. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Not really. It's just because it happens to him. But apparently, rape is funny. Because it's a man getting raped by an ape, or a gorilla, or whatever it is. That's hilarious. And that is, again, one of those things that I f- probably thought was hilarious when I was a kid. But, what's, what's, what's gonna happen to this man? He's got his face, his mouth all, um, uh, taped up, he can't speak, and he's going to the jungle with, to live with the apes. That man is dead. So, That's funny, I guess, for this this quote-unquote bad guy who's just a bit of a dick. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not as though he murdered people. I don't really think he deserves to get raped by a gorilla. I also have... uh, I've got five problems, actually. Okay. Because my other problem is three characters, at least three characters in this movie, break the fourth wall gen and look directly into the camera. Yeah, Three of them. I, You know, I don't like it when people break the fourth wall and look mm. at the camera for no reason. It makes zero sense. And for three characters to do it, just piss me off.
0: Once, once is funny to me. You do yes. more than that, and it's ridiculous.
2: Yes, exactly. Uh, well, uh, it can be funny, but the one I remember the most is from Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. Where the one of the vampires just looks at the camera and raises his eyebrows for absolutely zero fucking reason, and it's like, what's the point in that? But it can be funny. Once can be funny. If it was just Eddie Murphy that done it, it's funny. But Paul Gleason does it when he's dressed up in the the um the monkey outfit. He looks directly at the camera and like, Ooh, like help kind of mm-hmm. face. And Dan Aykroyd does it when he's about to shoot himself. Now you can see that's not breaking the fourth wall, but he looks directly at the at the camera as though to set up a gag like, what else could possibly go wrong, and then it starts raining. So it's breaking the fourth wall, and I didn't like it. So what's your for problem?
0: Does Jimmy Lee Curtis have to be naked? Um, Is that necessary?
2: Young me would say yes. <laughs> but old, middle-aged me say, no, not really. <laughs> there was no need for it. No. Absolutely zero need for it. It was a big studio movie. She was getting paid loads and loads of money, and she just thought, fuck it, why not? I just... It's...
0: There was so much gratuitous nudity in the 80s. hmm Like... There's so many movies you watch where it's just like, all of a sudden there's nudity, and it... There's no point.
2: No. I mean, it's not... It doesn't even serve the story.
0: No. Because she could have just crawled into bed with him, and it still would have been nice.
2: Yeah, she didn't have to be topless to do it. And then she takes her clothes off in front of the mirror, and then covers her breasts and turns around to heaven and shuts the door in his face. And I suppose... That's kind of saying, you know, she's in charge. Mm-hmm. Right? You saw my breasts, cover them up now, fuck off, slam the door. Do you know what I mean? Kind of thing. Yeah. She's in control. Um, and she gets to dictate where, uh, pretty much like Jamie Lee Curtis, actually. She got to dictate when we saw her breasts. Because she refused to do nude scenes until this movie. And then she did another couple of movies where she had nude scenes, I think. There was one called Love Letters after this, where she had a lot of sort of nude scenes in it. So I think it's just like, this character is representing Jamie Lee. It's like, right, I've decided, you're seeing my breasts. Fuck it, who cares? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's not really needed it's not really needed. If it was an empowerment thing for Jamie Lee Curtis and more power to her. Yeah. But it's yeah, for story purposes it was not really needed. Um my fifth problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh no, I just it just annoyed me not really annoyed me, but I know nothing about stocks and wall street and all that jazz. So that part of the story, you know, and the final act just it confused me as a kid. And it, I just sort of zone out now.
0: Yeah, I I that was almost one of my problems.
2: Yeah, I just don't I don't get it. I don't give a shit. I don't care. They explain it, still didn't listen. It's just mm-hmm. like up until the movie ends with the monkey rape. To me, I don't really care about the the dukes getting their comeuppance because I know it's gonna happen. And the the whole. Um, uh, stocks thing and all that. It was just like, ah I don't care. You know what I mean? All, mm-hmm. all that happened is some numbers dropped very low and they were happy it did. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. <coughs> you know? Yeah. I, was, I suppose that is why they put in Paul Gleason's character getting his comeuppance that way because that's when the movie stops being quote-unquote funny. And then it becomes quite serious, this stock thing. Because I don't think there's a single gag in that entire thing up until Don Amici says, fuck him, about his brother dying. You know? So it's like, they figured, right, we've got about 15 minutes here of absolutely nothing. So (laughs) it's just people shouting bye-bye, sell-sell. And then that's it. Uh, my positive, and I've got two positives. I'm cheating. It's Christmas. Well, we're recording this <coughs> at Christmas Eve, but you know, um, my two positives are Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd mm-hmm. because I think they work really well together. Um, and uh, I think they're. I think these two guys are perfect for these roles. Yeah, because I like it when Dan Aykroyd does a character like this, and. Eddie Murphy's just been, like, Eddie Murphy. But again, as we spoke about, this was made just after, like, right after 48 Hours. So, Eddie Murphy's only about 21 here. Oh my god. Yeah, exactly. Because he was about 20 when he made, when he made um 48 Hours. And he's 21 here. And he carries himself so fucking well for someone so young that you think that he's older than that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, people used to look older
0: Yeah You know what I mean? Yeah Like uh, Aunt May in in the new Spider-Man movies Like Marissa Tomei Is, I think, older than Rue McClanahan was at the beginning of Golden Girls Really? Yeah
2: Holy shit
0: Rue McClanahan, if I remember correctly, was 51
2: Jesus Christ
0: Yeah, people age differently now um and people look different, like it's just I think changing hairstyles and shit, but, and then also you know the use of sunscreen and not smoking everywhere and like there's just been a lot of changes to where people age so differently now.
2: Yeah, well look at um, it's oh sorry, oh it's it's just crazy. Yeah, look at Wilfred Brimley. Wilfred Brimley yes. was forever in his sixties, but when he was in the thing, he was like only like forty nine or something. <laughs> He was Mm -hmm. ridiculously, like, young when he was in the thing, and he looked like he was 30 years older, possibly. Um, And he was always that old man. He was always an old man. Uh, I think he was only... He he was in his very early 50s when he did Cocoon, and he was supposed to be in his 70s or something.
0: Um, My favourite is, uh, at the beginning of Seinfeld, Jason Alexander's 29. Yeah. That's the one I'm obsessed with. And... uh, Norm on Cheers was like thirty-three. Yeah. When the show started. It's
2: ridiculous. That is
0: insane to me. Like that I am older than Norm. Yeah. That doesn't seem right. (laughs) And Cliff. Cliff Claven, I think, was like 34. That's ridiculous.
2: That is that is ridiculous. Uh yeah. But yeah, Eddie Murphy's only about twenty, twenty one in this. Twenty one. That's so crazy. Yeah, but it's not just he looks older. I also think that it's is the way he carries himself and he portrays mm. himself as older. Even when he's saying pure, old, juvenile, childish shite, he's still you. You believe that he's an older guy, like maybe someone in his late twenties, early thirties, saying this stuff. I think Valentine's mm. supposed to be like thirties, maybe. I um, okay. imagine, I mean, if it was written for Richard Pryor, I imagine he would have been, but Eddie just plays it. Because he's supposed to be like, he's not supposed to be practically a child. He's supposed to be a grown-ass yeah. adult. So, yeah. Yeah, Eddie Murphy started Saturday Night Live when he was 19. So That's so crazy. It's, it really is. Um, and still not the youngest member of Saturday Night Live. Who's the youngest member of Saturday Night Live, Jen? Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah, and how old was he? Oh, God, like 16, I 17? I think he was 16, yeah. That is ridiculous. See, look at me knowing things. <laughs> yeah, that's ridiculous. He only lasted a season.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah. Wasn't that the same year as Robert Downey Jr.? Yeah.
2: Yeah. They two were friends at the time. I don't know if they still are, but they were friends. I don't
0: think I've ever seen a sketch that they were in.
2: No, neither have I.
0: Oh, Lauren Michaels, the five years he was gone... In reruns, you, the, I think like the only stuff that they really have in reruns is the Eddie Murphy sketches. Mm. Um, they kind of hid everything else.
2: Yeah, but it also helps that Eddie, the Eddie Murphy stuff is actually genuinely funny. I've seen a lot of his sketches, and there's some really good stuff in there. And mm-hmm. that just goes down to the fact that Eddie Murphy's a talented motherfucker. Um, <laughs> and you've got Robert Downey Jr., who's a talented motherfucker for different reasons. Yeah. Um, he he doesn't suit Saturday Night Live. Uh, so what's your positive? Well, it was going to be Eddie Murphy,
0: but you already did that. Sorry. And I don't want to do the same thing. Um, so I'm going to actually say the message of the movie. Okay. Because it is, I mean... They make a good point, like, the way – what you are born into and, like, your situation, you know, financially or whatever, will affect who you are and what you do. And the fact that they so easily, like, you know, once Eddie Murphy has money and, you know, a a job and everything, I mean, he proves he's very capable.
2: Absolutely.
0: And he changes how he acts – and then Dan Aykroyd, like as soon as he doesn't have anything, it's like he doesn't know what to do, and there's crime and all this. St- like it is a good message because that's how it is in real life. There, there are people who say like pull yourself up by your bootstraps or whatever, but people born into poverty, like that's a really hard thing to get out of. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they like to talk about, like, say somebody like Jeff Bezos that, like, he started from nothing or whatever. He got loans from his parents. Like, he got, he got, like, he wasn't, he was born into privilege. Yeah. And he, yes, he used that privilege to become, like, the richest man in the world. But he still was born into privilege. Like, Mark Zuckerberg was born into privilege. Like, these, like, even looking at Hollywood, there'll be people that you can like there's people assume you go to Hollywood and you know you can have a successful career but so many of these people when you look into it it's like they came from families with connections or they came from families with wealth which like if you're trying to, if you're a struggling actor it's hard to get by when you're broke mm-hmm. but you'll find out about somebody like um like, B.J. Novak from The Office, I if I remember correctly, his dad was, like, a ghost writer of uh, biographies. All right. Like, you find out little things like that, or, like, Lena Dunham's parents being artists or whatever, like, they come from a place of privilege. And I don't think people, even though we talk about it a little more now, I think a lot of people still don't even realize that. And it's like, Dan Aykroyd is a little shit. Mm-hmm. Because he was born into privilege. And he becomes a better person... Well... Having seen the other side. Or he he seems like maybe he's on the road to becoming a better person. I wish they'd done
2: a little bit more to show that, though. I wish they did have him... Like, at the end, maybe they say something like... Um... Right, we're sunning in this tropical island. We're wearing jumpers in a tropical island for some fucking reason. (laughs) And... um, But tomorrow we've got that fundraising benefit or tomorrow we've got that we're donating money to this charity or whatever, you know what I mean? It's like they they got this money, but all they're doing with it is selling themselves. Yeah. And now the butler has a butler. And it's like yeah, there's still a couple of rich guys, but it would be nice if they showed that Dan Aykroyd's character was a little bit more humbled. He, yeah. he doesn't really show that much, so there's not really any reason to believe that he has changed, apart from the fact that he now loves Jamie Lee Curtis. Well, his—I think a lot of
0: it is just in his demeanor, like in the way he speaks and, yeah. his, and in his yeah. body language sure. and stuff. Like it, it, he is clearly like physically he does show that he's a changed character. Cause in the beginning he's so stiff and like that way he talks.
2: True. Yeah.
0: So there is that, but yeah, we don't really see a ton of change. This is a movie, honestly, that I think now would be a good time to
2: remake it. Yeah. Yeah. Actually that is a good idea.
0: Like this is in this climate this economic climate right now and political climate That movie, I mean, obviously you could take out the super offensive stuff, but that movie is something that um, could be remade now and work really well.
2: Yeah, you absolutely could not make this movie as is today. There's no way you could make this movie as is today. Um, Yeah. But, yeah, so sorry for stealing your positive.
0: (laughs) Oh, no, it's, well, no, because it gave me a chance to kind of think of something else and I realized that I actually... I actually do really like the overall message yeah. of the movie
2: Right, I've got a lot of notes <laughs> Okay, I'll try and go through them as quickly as possible but I watched this on Now TV, which is streaming service in the UK and there's a warning that the movie has dated attitudes um no shit, <laughs> Uh, you know how they do that in Disney Plus as well where yeah. it's like, eh, this movie was made at a time when it was okay to say that word Coleman goes through a thing in this movie. Yeah, yeah, I like Coleman. You can tell that Coleman really doesn't want to fucking do this. Mm-hmm. But he has to, because it's his job and he can lose his job. Um, And you can tell that he's kind of sort of pushed into it. Um, Because he even calls one of the Dukes a scumbag after hanging up on the phone with him. Mm-hmm. And then you can tell that he's really hurt when he has to turn Dan Aykroyd away. And he yeah. jumps at the chance to help Dan Ackroyd, and I really like that. Coleman goes through a little sort of—it's not a—is it's, well as an arc, but you know, it's—it's it's not as always bad and in turns good. But he's—he goes through a thing anyway. Denim Elliott plays Coleman. Uh, he died in nineteen ninety two um, of AIDS-based tuberculosis. Okay, uh, he was diagnosed with HIV in nineteen eighty seven. Uh, he was married to the same woman since 1962 um, until his death. Uh, he was secretly bisexual, and they had an open marriage. But she stuck with him until the very end. Hmm. That's marriage goals. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. I remember. I always thought he was gay, but he's actually he was he was bisexual because he did actually love his wife. And had yeah. kids with his wife, but then at a certain stage, uh, she agreed to have an open marriage so he could explore his sexuality. And whether or not you agree, not you personally, but whether or not people agree with that or not, I still think that's that's a really like nice thing to do. No, no, it is. <laughs> I um, I used to read uh,
0: Savage Love. Are you familiar with Savage Love, Dan Savage? No. He's a sex columnist, mm. um, and I used to read it all the time, and his, his solution to, like, half the people's problems was just have an open relationship, but, like, the the justification for it was usually pretty spot on. Like, you know, someone would be like, my spouse doesn't want to have sex anymore, mm-hmm. and that's a problem for me. And it's like, well, if that's the case, then talk to them about an open marriage so you can get what you need, but you can stay married. Yeah. And the especially the bisexual thing that makes a lot of sense to me, especially if you're discovering that after getting married.
2: Yeah, and also because the time when it happened, you know, they get married in the sixties, yeah. you know.
0: So to allow him to explore, you know, his sexuality—that's, I love that.
2: Yeah, yeah. She sounds like a a great woman. Um, she passed away as well after him, but I think she died in a fire or something. I read. Mm. It's horrible, horrible. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, Ophelia has her, her name's Ophelia. By the way, let's just let's just talk about that. I don't know if that's a real name, <laughs> but Ophelia, really. <laughs> anyway, um, she has a movie poster for "See You Next Wednesday" on her wall, and that's a fictional movie and a running gag that's in every single John Landis movie. Oh, really? Yeah. It's even in the Thriller music video. Oh wow! Yeah, um, they're watching the movie in the on this in the cinema in the Thriller music video. Michael Jackson and, and his lady friend, mm. and we hear dialogue from the from the screen, and it says um, "See you next Wednesday." <laughs> um, so yeah, that's used in every single one of his movies. I don't know why. Um I can't remember the origin of it, but i I always thought that it would be better if it was seen next Tuesday because that that's um that's like an abbreviation for the word cunt. Yeah, I always thought that would have been funnier. Anyway, whenever I can say the word cunt and justify it, I don't care. I'm doing it. Oh, it's um, a fun word to say. It is. Uh, <laughs> my mum doesn't like it. She doesn't like saying it. I mean, she does say it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but if my mum breaks out the word cunt, you know she's annoyed. Um,
0: By the way, I just looked down and uh, noticed I missed a Christmas present when I was wrapping last night. Oh dear. So it's a good thing we're recording, because I I would have completely forgotten about this.
2: Well, that's good. At least you, at least you found it.
0: Yeah, well, what was yeah. happening is I was, like, while we were talking, I was just looking around my office and being like, this is a damn pit. <laughs> and I really, like, it's just getting worse and worse.
2: Well, it must be. If you're like losing Christmas presents, in it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, because the key my for me the key to hiding gifts is leave them in plain sight. But like, if if you've ordered them on the internet, just leave them in the packages. Um, yeah, yeah. because then, I mean, if the kid peeks, you'll know because the package will be open. And so, like yeah. for a month, I've just been throwing packages on the floor of my office. <laughs> oh, I'm um, a so- mess. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, I'm just going to do housework after we record, so, you know, my room's looking a little bit, sort of, there's food on the floor. <laughs> I don't have food on the floor, but the cats... Bit- it's, it's crisps, it's like, you know, or chips, as you call them in America. Yeah. It's like I've been biting crisps and, like, there's crumbs on the floor, that's all it is, but it'll get hoovered up The ten
0: minutes. The cats come in here and knock things over, and then I never pick them up. Right. So there's just books all over the floor.
2: Fair enough. Uh, and my final note is the the Dukes, the two brothers, are in *Coming to America*. Mm-hmm. They have a cameo in *Coming to America*, and I hate it <laughs> because they're homeless, and um, Eddie's character, the the rich prince, gives them pocket change as he calls it, but <laughs> it's like a big huge wad of money, and it makes them rich again. And they say, um, uh, "Mortimer, we're back." And then, and coming to America too, or coming to America, their company's thriving again and it's run by their grandson. So, fuck their comeuppance here, I guess. <clears throat> it meant nothing. That's so weird. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why they, they did that. You know, made them rich again. and I don't buy them being poor because I
0: just, I mean, I don't know a ton about finances, but I'm going to assume... That if you're in a position where you have that much money, like you probably still have shit you can sell. Like you could still have a, you know, a life. Like I can't imagine well, if you would just end up on the streets. Like you have property. You would yeah, declare bankruptcy true. probably with that much money, which I did not use my inflation calculator because I was doing it was a lot. Well, I was doing other things while watching this, so I was mm. making notes on my phone, but I wasn't... Usually I write them down on paper, and that's where I would, like, make those kinds of notes. Mm. But I was wrapping gifts when I was watching it, and so I wasn't taking the same kind of notes I usually do.
2: I'm disappointed in you, Jen. Hey, it's that, Christmas,
0: man. I got stuff to do.
2: That's like a regular slot in our podcast. The, the one regular slot in our podcast, that it doesn't even happen. <laughs> I think the the idea is that they are in so much debt after that, and they owe much more money than they actually have. I think that's what happens at the end. Yeah, but I, th- I... think the, the guy says 32 million or something, and they don't have that much. No,
0: it was like 300 and...
2: Oh, was it? 300, yeah. 300 and, and like
0: 69 know. or something.
2: Yeah. And yeah, so I think that's that's the, the reason is that they just lost it all. Um, And I think in movie uh, logic, that works. Because it's like, yeah, you you owe more money than you have. You're now desolate and living in the streets. Uh, But real life, it doesn't work. Okay, so... Um,
0: Wow, what? I I was using my inflation calculator.
2: Yay!
0: But it doesn't make sense to me. No! Never mind, I'm doing it wrong. Okay, cool. Let's see. Uh, Because I think, I don't know the exact number. I want to say it was 369, but I might be wrong. And today, today that would be almost a billion. (laughs) 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 That they lost almost a billion dollars.
2: Yeah. On orange juice. Yeah, uh, it makes no sense to me. Oh, could you check your inflation calculator and see how much a dollar was worth in nineteen eighty three compared to now? Yeah, that? because their their whole bet was for one dollar, and I always wanted to know that I couldn't look it up myself. But two dollars and sixty one cents. <laughs> <Is> that <it? laughs> right, that's quite disappointing, actually. Yeah,
0: but that's I mean that's a pretty huge increase.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's more more double. Um, anyway.
0: I love my inflation calculator.
2: Yeah, we need to bring it out more often. We need to watch a movie that talks about money more. And, um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, next, next movie. We're taking a break for the first few weeks in January. Uh, well, the podcast is. We're not. Um,. The podcast is taking a break In January and I can't remember when the fuck I said we were coming back When's your birthday again Jen? January 28th January 28th so we'll be back uh, On the 24th For Jen's birthday episode Jen's turn to pick a movie From the year of her birth Which is 1982 And what's the movie you picked Jen? E.T. E.T. The Extraterrestrial So that's what we're covering next uh, at the end of January, 24th of January. Uh, so that's all we have time for. If you like to follow the podcast, it's at Drop with Pod. uk is the website. Contact at shiftybench.co.uk is the email address. Uh, send us an email, say that we're very woke and you hate our podcast. <laughs> Where can people follow you on the internet, Jen?
0: I'm at Pilot Inspectors on Twitter, and I have a podcast, a Party 5 Rewatch podcast called Closer to Free.
2: Excellent. So thank you all for listening. We'll speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.
0: <laughs>